and welcome again to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity Podcast. Hello again, I'm Christine Burns. Of all the diversity issues, religion is the most difficult. It so often involves the question of how far one can allow the rights of people to apply the doctrines they believe in to the lives of other people. Our religion, or lack of one, is perhaps the only thing we can really choose. Everything else is beyond our control. Gender, race, disability, sexual orientation and age. But regardless of the indoctrination we might receive through our upbringing, we have the power as adults to choose what we believe and how we behave towards others. So where does the right to have a religious belief and to worship end and discrimination begin? And, in such a multicultural society as Britain, how do people with competing religious beliefs reconcile the inevitable differences? Can any one person speak for them all when organisations wish to consult on the topic? To answer those questions, I've come to the headquarters of the Northwest Development Agency in Warrington, which is the base for Monsignor John Devine, Church's Officer for the Northwest. He runs the Northwest Forum of Faiths and is a priest in the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Liverpool. So, let's go inside. John, welcome to Just Plain Sense. If I can start with a little bit about yourself. You're a parish priest at St Benedict's in Warrington. When did you know you first wanted to enter the priesthood? Gosh, um... Well, way back in the you know late fifties, early sixties, I suppose within the Catholic subculture, wanting to be a priest or that sort of aspiration was was considered a, sort of a fairly legitimate one and not unusual. And in those days, if there were um, young men who 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 felt as if they might be sort of drawn to be to being priests. We did have what were called junior seminaries, which were basically boarding schools. So that was the course that I took. So so something obviously lit a a fire inside you? Um, Well, looking back on it, within again, within the Catholic sort of subculture, um, priests were, if I say powerful, that doesn't... Well, they were certainly high profile. Mm. And, And as a kid, you know, they were always... Everybody seemed to like them, and they seemed to have a good time. And I thought as a kid, well, you know, that it's, seems... It's quite a, an important role in, in, in communities. Well, yes, and everyone in the community looked up to them. It was a leadership role, um, and therefore it was a kind of a natural thing to aspire to, I suppose. Yeah. Now, you're also the, the chair of the governing council at Liverpool Hope University. What does that mean? Right. Well, I mean, there's, there's always... I mean, if we take the example of, say, school governors, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a parallel to that. I mean, schools are run by the head teacher and the professional staff. Governors are there to make sure that... Um, I, I suppose it's a bit of a belt and braces affair, really, but, but they're there to ensure that the correct processes are being followed, that the institution is being faithful to its mission and its ethos. Okay. And lastly, your your profile says you've spent some time in Peru as well. Yes, well, that was a, that was unusual, an unusual sort of thing for it because if you're, a, I'm what's called a diocesan priest, mm-hmm. as opposed to a priest. I mean, there are people like Jesuits and Dominicans and people like that, or even monks, 
who are actually members of religious congregations, religious orders. Diocesan priests are, um, belong to their local diocese and are directly answerable to the bishop. Mm-hmm. And the assumption is you don't actually move out of that diocese. You know, it's a do- very much mm-hmm. a domestic sort of role. But um, in the late 1950s, because there was a shortage of priests very much in some of the, the traditional mission areas, um, one of which was Latin America, the Holy Father at the time asked that for volunteer diocesan priests to volunteer mm-hmm. a number of years to actually to, to work as diocesan priests in those parts of the country which were much shorter of priests than we are. So the Diocese of Liverpool... Um, they set up a, a system whereby there would be six priests working in Latin America any one time, and and uh, you'd you'd work out there for six years, and one would come home. So it was, it seemed like a, it was it, it was something that we could actually volunteer for because mm-hmm. normally you're asked you're asked to go to um, to go where you're sent, but because it was outside the normal expectation of what the job involved, you you, you could volunteer, and that was a very a very um, formative time for me, really, my time I spent. I ended up spending nine years there in the end, and it was, um, it was an amazing experience, you know. What did you learn? Um, that, um, that different people have different ways of doing things, mm-hmm. and that uh, different is just different. It's not worse and it's not better, mm-hmm. it's just different. And um, and we're not all the same. Well, that brings us off very neatly to uh, my next set of questions, because um, Northwest England, where we are now, uh, has people who worship well every major world faith. What kinds of frictions can that lead to? I mean, I, th- I think there's a more basic question about faith in general, which I, I would say when I f- was first ordained a priest, which was in the. 1970s, 1973, it was very much an assumption that it was a secular society we're living in and that mm. that society was on a trajectory, if you like, to total secularization mm. and that, that the challenge to religious belief that, you know, began with the Enlightenment and the scientific revolution would actually result in it petering out altogether Mm. and that seemed to be the direction we were going in. Now various factors I think have conspired to put faith back on the agenda and I think one of the things is that um, is that the scientific and rational secular um, grand narrative if you Mm. like um, has been found as as wanting as perhaps the religious Christian grand narrative was, you know, a century or so earlier. Um, And the solution isn't to look around for another grand narrative, but it's it's suggesting, and this would be the postmodern analysis of of society, would be that, well, nobody has all the answers, but um, that maybe people of religious faith are raising a few questions that other people are raising as well such as that we don't live by bread alone mm. and and the material alone does not satisfy and i think there's been a an interest a renewed interest in spirituality and spiritual matters even if that doesn't translate into um 
commitment to organized religion. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, so it's not actually a return to religion in that sense. There may be some people of faith who, who wish that was so, or maybe mm-hmm. interpret it is that that is the case, but um, I don't believe it is the case. But there's room for religion in a society mm-hmm. where there are lots of other voices. So, the, the, I mean, we're, we're t- I mean, the kind of the, the matrix we normally operate from. If you look at an organisation such as the uh, the UK Interfaith Network, it talks of the the nine major world faiths, mm-hmm. of which Christianity is one, mm-hmm. and 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 then all the other the others as well. Um, Muslims, Muslims, Hindus, Jews, Sikhs, you know, Zoroastrians, Jains, um, Baha'is. I'm I'm terrified I'm going to miss some out (laughs) because I'm not counting. But but, but whereas Christianity, we could then subdivide Mm -hmm. into into a whole lot more. Now the question is that, and you can do that with other faiths. You can you can divide Muslims into. You can indeed. Yes, Sunnis and Shias and Mm -hmm. Sufi and and, and the whole thing. Yes. Um, and Jewish, uh, the Jewish community as well. Mm. You know, we all subdivide um, by nature, really. And I, and I see that being a, a big problem in terms of the, the the culture of consultation. That you cannot find any single individual or or group sure. that you can consult with on the issues of religion. No, and and I think that sometimes um, I think you've got to avoid the the word representative. Mm. What you can do is you can take a shot at actually um, consulting individuals of different faiths, mm-hmm. but there's no way you can say that any of them speak for all of them. One of the, I mean, I allegedly speak on behalf of the six mm-hmm. major Christian denominations who would be the Catholics, the Anglicans, the Methodists, the Baptists, the United Reformed Church, the Salvation Army, and the Quakers. Mm-hmm. What helps in that is that the sorts of issues on which, with which I'm dealing with government would be ones on which there would be consensus. Mm-hmm. They would usually, they would be the issues of, of um, working in deprived areas, um, the whole business of regeneration, um, those sorts of things. Okay. I, I was going to ask you, what are the things that people with different faiths have in common in terms of in terms of their belief? Are you saying it's not so much what people believe, but actually... What they do and yes. how they live it out in practice. We've heard a lot of examples recently where people's faith seems to have led them into conflict with other people and with their employers. So where reasonably does one's religion end and the province of you know, areas of discrimination begin, in your view? I mean, some of the cases, I think, you know, are high-profile cases. And I, I almost think, I don't know, I could be. You, you can always find bad cases. Mm. And sometimes the people who are promoting the bad case are actually... Are, are, are actually uh, intentionally doing so. Mm. to make a point mm. um, and 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 you know there have been various high profile cases in the media where there has been a conflict mm. between the religious belief mm. and the the standards of of equality and um 
yes, of equality that the government is actually insisting on. Can I, can I put quite, it to you another way? I, I mean, sure. I think perhaps some of the confusion, from the way I see it, is that there's a, there's a confusion between supporting somebody's right to have a particular belief and to worship a particular religion and to do that in freedom and without harassment, which is you know, something that I think everybody can say, yeah, yeah, that we can all go along with that because that's live and let live. But where we get into trouble is that having a belief often requires you to, to go out and proselytise and to, to tell people what you believe, which can involve harassing others. And, and that's where we get into trouble. I think, I th- I think that one of the things I've discovered in working both ecumenically and working with people of other faiths is, is, that, is that the barriers or the dividing lines mm. between different groups don't fall between groups, but mm. actually right through them. Mm-hmm. Right, so you can find that people with a a more tolerant mindset can be found within every faith community, mm-hmm. and people with them. And I hate to use the word because it's distorted a lot, but it's used by the media fundamentalist. Because mm-hmm. um, you can have fundamentalists in any religion. Precisely, and and going back again, I, 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 there's a polarity almost mm-hmm. there as to wh- which is your ultimate value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, 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 is the ultimate value orthodoxy or, or what you believe to be truth? Mm-hmm. Or is it uh, compassion? Is it acceptance? Tolerance is... is, is, is it, or tolerance is a very weak word, actually. I mean, it's not even particularly aff- affirmative. But, but, but respect and... You, you, you know, to, now, now so, some of those who are fundamentalist would see the liberal, if you like, approach as weakness, whereas many of those, you know, with a more liberal persuasion would actually see that notion of accepting people as they are and their uniqueness, your, your uniqueness as actually a core value of their faith as well. Is, is there a way out of this? Because, I mean, we've been going through this for thousands of years and it's not got any better. Um, I mean, one of the problems to me, I think, is that the, the orthodoxy can actually lead into problems because we're in a constantly changing world. Our our understanding of our you know, the universe we live in constantly evolves and improves, and yet orthodoxy ties people to having a fixed set of beliefs that can't change. Well, yeah, I mean, yes and no. Therefore, it depends where you've. I mean, if you t- if you take a fundamentalist reading of any sacred text. Mm. Um, that ignores the context in which it was written. Um, so, I mean, if you take the Bible, for instance, I mean, you, you can more or less justify anything by mm. reading the Bible. Um, it's in there somewhere, and you can dig it out. Um, particularly if you leave your brain behind before you open the book. Um, because, I mean, you have to deconstruct, you know, mm. every text. Um, because... I mean, what is absolute truth? I mean, it, it, it's... Put it this way. A lot of people who think they're being totally objective are actual that they're bringing their stuff with them. Mm. And, and so it's, it's, it's very difficult to claim that you're being totally objective. Um, and even so-called eternal truths, like the... We, we compromise them, even though we don't mm. think they are. I mean, we talk about taking life as, you know, as, as, as murder... But, but in but war, in war, we're doing it. But yes. but that's okay because yeah. it's war. So immediately we're kind of watering the thing yeah. down. The the other thing as well, I think, is that is that we're kind of 
a lot of stuff is that we, we, we imagine is about faith is actually about culture. Mm. Now, this is where my experience of working in Latin America would be so different um, and, and relativizes a lot of stuff that we think you know, are absolutes um, and that people just do stuff differently. Mm. Now, you can, you, can, you can invent a theology to justify everything, but, but actually you begin from a human experience. Mm. Um, so, so, so the, the if you've got, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. So, I, I'll, I'll just finish the point I was making. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, what happens is, for instance, we talk about um, confessional Muslim states, for mm. instance, you know, in some parts of the world, which would be um, very hard line. Well, if you were going to compare like with like. Really, you would need to equate them with, say, Christianity as practiced, say, at the time of the Inquisition or something. Mm. You know, if you were yes. going to get parity. Um, yeah. Whereas Christianity that's actually been filtered and adapted and adjusted, you know, to, to match living in a pluralist society. Mm. Um, some, of, some of the other faiths, mm. you know, haven't had that experience. And, and while you were talking there, though, it, it occurred to me that there is such an important role for leadership in this because you, you've dis- you've already described how Christianity has evolved over the last three or four hundred years since the Inquisition, and it's it's not what it was then. It's clearly the world has moved on as well and changed again, so it does need to evolve. It needs to evolve to to have a, a you know, to be at peace with a world where there are gay and lesbian, bisexual and transsexual mm-hmm. people, and people of you know, other faiths living next door to you. Why are we not moving further, you know, faster forward in terms of uh, of making that peace? Well. Actually, I think we are moving pretty fast. Actually, that's mm. I'm not I'm not saying complacency, mm. but I mean, even secular society has moved. I mean, the guard of secular society. Um, I mean, in my lifetime, I mean, it was a criminal offence, you know, homosexuality. Mm. So, so I mean, talking on a, on a, on, a, on a scale of thousands of years, I mean, the change has been very rapid. Mm. Um, now, but we expect be, rapid change these days. We do. We do. I mean, and, part, and one of the other things is communication, mm. that you realise the world is a bigger place. I mean, medieval Christianity assumed that the whole known world lived around the shores of the Mediterranean, or, you know, well, probably Britain was about mm. as far away as you'd get from that. But that was the whole known world. And so you could, you could speak about Christendom. And the only two exceptions were the Jewish people, mm-hmm. right, and and the other exception were yes there were the the, the, the the Muslims, and and we had crusades and stuff mm. because they were seemed to be aberrations in a system where the rest of the known the known world was actually Christian, mm-hmm. and and Christianity that even hadn't subdivided to well the Orthodox situation had perhaps arisen but but certainly Protestantism and the Reformation mm-hmm. hadn't happened mm-hmm. so there was so anyone who was different from the norm was 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 foreign. Now, modern communication, the world's so much bigger, it means that absolute views like that are just untenable. Okay. So, well, that brings us on, though, to something like the, the views expressed by Pope Benedict in his, in his New Year's speech. You know, the, 
And for those, you know, if anybody didn't know them, he was saying that uh, people like gay and lesbian people or people like myself, a transsexual woman, mm-hmm. are as big a problem in the world as global warming. And that, that seems to be quite a, quite a hard-line position to take when perhaps, you know, as we've been discussing, we do need to, 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 to accept the fact that, you know, the world is full of people like me. Well, and it is. I mean, statistically. I mean, it's. I mean, what happened was was that in the past, um, it was because of the climate. Those those differences were were, were suppressed, and um, and um, people lived their lives undercover, if you like. Whereas in a, in a, you know in a modern society, you know, it's it's well, well, virtually people come out. I mean, that's the expression, yeah. isn't it? Um, and therefore, they are. <clears throat> they would appear to be in conflict with with the, with the textbook mm. way of, of of living. What, what whatever whatever faith that textbook is based on. So, so what is the Pope's goal in making a statement like that? Um, I don't. I don't know really. I mean, he. I mean, that that's his view. I mean, he maybe feels that. Um, he has to uh, uphold, you know, one principle, but he he, he appears to be um, contradicting another. Um, and I'm not sure it's altogether helpful. Um, um, I mean, it's uh, in, in perhaps not in this country, but in other parts of the world, statements like that can be taken as being as read and being a license to to kill or to to attack people. Um, well, I mean, I mean, if that that's the case, that's terrible. I mean, that that sort of that 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 sort of consequence of it. But I mean, the the. I mean, he isn't the only person making those statements. I'm sorry, I'm not saying no. that that's that's right. But, but I mean, the the whole business in you know in the Anglican Church of the ordination of gay bishops, mm-hmm. you know, is um, it it it's. I mean that that is that is that is good for all of us because it 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 it's not it's actually it's not an issue of just of sexual politics or sexual mm-hmm. morality it's actually the conflict between the fundamentalist view mm-hmm. and the you know and the liberal view um from the outside though that that sounds like an argument that's going nowhere that can't have a, a happy resolution well, when you, well, certainly if you, if you if you if you see sort of what's you know the mores that are present in Nigeria, for instance, mm. and you've got a lot of the third world bishops who are the principal uh, proponents of this, that, that's clear to see because mm. it's it's you know the geographical sort of difference is just another different version of the historical one, mm. um, where you have um, those in in this country. Who take an ultra orthodox view? Um, it's. I suspect we're always going to have those sorts of people among us, mm. but they're not. I don't think they're peculiar to people of faith. So, should uh, religious leaders in Britain, where we, as you're saying, you know, we have this understanding of difference, perhaps more than perhaps uh, a an archbishop in Nigeria? Um, should we not be showing more leadership? I, I can see that the, 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 the worry is of causing schisms and, and, and fracturing churches in that way, but 
they do they do say you can't make a cake without breaking eggs i mean i i mean the dilemma i mean it, it's just it's, you see somebody like the archbishop of canterbury rowan williams who's liberal by nature mm. to see him struggling to prevent this split to keep the family together if you like mm. to how do you contain those of extreme views but this comes back to the question of leadership though because yes. I mean, it, it comes a point where you you feel you know, we cannot uh, find a, a middle ground in, in in these kinds of discussions you know do you i mean you know, the, the protestant church was 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 created out of out of a huge argument mm-hmm. is there a need to say okay no well some things are more important than actually holding together and we've got to go with you know, with what we believe in I mean, one, I'll give you another angle on this. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that is often the case, say, within the Catholic Church, is that um, there's two different approaches to law, mm-hmm. right? There's the, the Anglo-Saxon common law tradition uh, as opposed to the uh, Catholic Roman-based... Um, the handed-down sort of law. Law. It's 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 the law of it's the law of um, um, of of of, of um, well there, there are lots of laws mm-hmm. right now now where you find the two different attitudes uh, to law illustrated best would be um, with with say traffic lights mm-hmm. right? now in this country you'll three o'clock in the morning if you're driving along you'll find you'll find people sitting in front of red lights waiting for them to change. Mm-hmm. And if they go through a red light and a policeman sees them, they'll be prosecuted. Now, that would never happen in Latin countries because they would say, well, this is absurd. The purpose of the law is safety at crossings, but if there's nobody else about, well, the mind of the lawgiver was to stop cars colliding with each other, but if there's nobody to collide with, well, use your common sense. So so what happens is the Anglo-Saxons take codified law and apply it as if it were common law. But, and but if, that, if that's so, then, mm. would you not expect, say, the, you know, let's go back to the example of the Pope, mm. to be saying, you know, it's clear that the world is full of you know, gay and lesbian people, about mm. 10%, mm. so you know, it's time to, to start leading people mm. uh, down a path of acceptance of the fact that they exist and mm. how to reinterpret what we mm. thought was the truth in, in the Bible, which is mm. written down by people. Yeah, I agree with you, yeah. Well, obviously, in fact, <laughs> total agreement, and 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 so, I mean, what what? How do we move forwards? I mean, can can people in Britain influence that? Yes, I mean, I mean, I think let me let me give you another example. I, I would say the whole business of gender humane vitae and and birth control and mm-hmm. that that whole issue. It's uh, on my list. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, when when you look, I mean, I think, and this is related to the, mm. the, the what we've just said is when you look at the countries with the the lowest birth rate in Europe, which would you mm. think they are? Well, Britain's got fairly low birth rate, yeah, and a few others yeah. though. Can you suggest yeah. any others? Can you suggest which countries might have the highest birth rate in Europe? Um, I would have thought it was possibly Italy. Well, Italy and Spain are the lowest birth rates in Europe. So how is that explained? Because they have a different attitude to law. Yeah, so the so law you're, is you're the ideal. They see the law as an ideal. But not an absolute that you actually have to comply with. You. Oh, it's the traffic light example. Right. 
right? And it's for them, you could say, that for, for Latin people, the law is the... Whereas for us, the law is the ground we walk on. For them, it's the ceiling. So are you saying that our problem is one of actually... We take, inter- we, we take it too seriously. We see what people are saying and we think that's what they're that's, actually that's meaning. That's going to be an enforced absolute. Whereas your average Latin would say, well, that's very nice what he says. And, you know, but, but meanwhile, in the real world, we, you know, we make our own minds up. Okay. Last, last question. If you had a magic wand, you know, yes. what, what would you most like to change in Britain now from, the, from this perspective? I think an, an end to tribalism of all sorts and judging people as categories, mm. whether they're Catholics or whether they're Everton supporters or whether they're older people mm. or whether they're you know, gays or, mm. or lesbians mm-hmm. or whether they're disabled people, mm-hmm. um, whether they're from the north or whether they're from the south, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're from Liverpool or whether they're from Manchester, they're all individuals. They're all individuals and they're all different from each other even within those alleged sort of tribes and camps and that you 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 know you can't generalize um, or you shouldn't but we do and all of us do Monsignor John Devine there well that brings us to the end of another episode of Just Plain Sense and almost one whole year of podcasts on the topic of equality and diversity I began on 4th March 2008 and since then I've produced 55 episodes with a huge variety of people from different backgrounds. Remember that you can find all of those previous episodes at podcast.plain-sense.co.uk and I'll be back soon, hopefully, with some more. For now though, it's goodbye and thank you for listening. Just Plain Sense is a Plain Sense Limited production. If we